0: And I don't mean to sound like an, an old guy, because that's absolutely, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what it sounds like when I'm starting this. But you guys, when I was in college, um, I somehow ended up in this class that didn't provide me with any necessary credits um, that I actually needed. I don't know how I found myself in this class, um, but it was a British literature class. Um, have any of you guys dwelled in that arena at all? Okay, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, we were given, you know, two weeks to read like Jane Eyre and these massive tomes. Like none of these were short stories that we were given. And so, in addition to all of the hours and all of the work that we had to do, we were given this British literature class, and you know, these these stories would have like a hundred characters. We were reading things like Dickens, and there's all these just elaborate characters, and I was so lost. And I would always struggle to get the reading done in time. And there was um, a classmate of mine that just refused to read anything that we're going through. I don't know how he was getting through it. Ryan raised his hand up. He knows what I'm talking about. He just refused to tackle any of these massive books. And so it was definitely not the right thing to do. And I don't agree with his tactics. Um, And he was probably being a little lazy, obviously. But when I asked him, like, why is it that you don't even, like, attempt to read these things? Why are you not tackling it? And he gave me a really interesting answer that honestly surprised me. And this is what he said. He said, the reason I don't like reading all of these books is because I know the characters in the books are probably going to go through pain. They're probably going to go through some sort of heartache and suffering. And I just want to make sure that by the end of it, it's actually worth it. That it's actually worth the pain through the suffering, because he, to him, he didn't want to watch these characters just fall apart. Now I'm pretty sure that this student absolutely failed the class. I never saw him again after this British Lit class. So maybe he dropped out, and school was just not his thing. But you guys, this made me just—I started thinking about this pain and suffering. You know, as we're going through the series. And I'll be honest, you guys, I I don't like being in pain. I don't know about you. You know, some people say like I'd rather be I'd rather be in pain than be sick. But I do not like pain. I hate seeing other people in pain. In fact, I do do just about everything I can to avoid it. Right, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Now, for a moment, I just want us to think about our culture and how it operates when it comes to pain. It's built on this idea, right, that we should do everything we can right now in the moment to prevent pain, right? From now or in the future. We wanna escape it. We don't want any part of it. And instead, what culture encourages and what it seems to be after more than anything else is the opposite of pain, right? Which is pleasure. Culture tells us that if it feels good, if it feels right, then we should pursue it. Don't think, just do, right? It's that same pressure that maybe a lot of us felt this weekend to during Black Friday. You know, we had Black Friday sales happening. Then on Saturday, we had, you know, small business Saturday. Then look out, here comes Cyber Monday. And we have all these opportunities that we don't want to miss out on. You know, we just need to make the purchase and it'll make our life so much greater. We need to do what feels right in the moment, regardless of what it means for our future, right? Now, I think we've all been saturated in this long enough to understand this kind of language coming after us. But most of us, I think, have lived long enough to know that our feelings can absolutely lie to us, right? That they can actually deceive us, that they can mislead us, that just because something feels right in the moment does not mean that it is right or that it is true. Now, for the last couple of weeks, you guys, we've been going through this short series that we called When We Hurt, and we've talked a lot about pain, a lot about suffering and why it is that we continue to suffer in this world. And for me, one of the hardest things to understand about pain and suffering, I think, is this is our inability to see the point in it, right? What's the point in all of this suffering? To see how any present earthly pain can actually lead to some sort of future eternal gain, right? We fail to see the greater picture of why we suffer, of why we hurt, of how any of it fits into God's overall plan for our lives, right? Some of us, could argue that we've actually experienced more pain than others Um, or maybe some of us feel like we've we've totally dodged the bullet we've we've missed it and pain has just kind of gone past us and we've actually had a pretty easy life but the reality is you guys is that none of us are immune to suffering sure some of us may be better acquainted with it but none of us are completely hidden from it right and as depressing as this may sound, there is a hundred percent chance that all of us, every one of us in this room will experience it to some degree in our lifetime. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, if I just make it to, you know, this point in my life, if I just, you know, make it out of school, or if I just land this job or this relationship, then I'll be fine. I'll be past all of the hard stuff, right? I won't have to endure any of this suffering. Life will just somehow miraculously get easier, right? And this was honestly my mentality for a really, really long time. And my wife jokes all the time. She's like, reminds me, hey, you're not invincible. You know, when I'm driving like a city driver, she's like, hey, you're not invincible. And she's constantly reminding me of these things. But you guys, since my wife and I have been together, we've had to sing three funerals, Five memorial services, and we've seen cancer tear through our family like crazy and take two people that we desperately and dearly loved. And so we're well acquainted with pain, with sorrow. And we've had to ask these questions of God, do you really have a purpose in all of this pain and all this hurt? When to us on this side of eternity, it seems so senseless, and at times it feels even cruel that we have to go through these things. Like there's not really a point in any of it. But here's the good news, you guys. Our good Father in heaven, he has already done something about it. He has done something about our hurt, and he continues to use our hurt to actually draw us closer to himself. And we're going to look at a few ways that he does that tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians 3.10. Or if you have the Bible app, go ahead and open it up. Philippians 3.10 in the New Testament. Now, the first verse um, that I want to unpack here comes from Paul. And if you were here last week, Paul um, Brad talked a lot about Paul and his story and just the tremendous hurt and pain that he went through in his life that he endured. Um, So as you turn there, so Paul talks about in this verse, you know, his desire to share in Christ's suffering, right? That's kind of the theme here. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul's desire here was to know Jesus on a deep, rich, intimate level, right? A level that he knew would take way more than just any sort of head knowledge, any sort of intellectual knowledge. In other words, Paul wasn't going to just, you know, think his way towards Christ-likeness, right? That's what a lot of us tend to do. You know, we read enough, we consume enough, and we're like, I'm gonna be like Christ by reaching this level of education, this level of knowledge, and it's gonna make me more Christ-like somehow. It's gonna transform me. But what Paul wants, but what Paul wants is this, this life of Jesus to be actually reproduced in him, okay? And it requires something so much more than simple head knowledge, something countercultural something that would take time. You know, Paul understood on a deep level that it would have to cost him something great. He understood that it would be inconsistent for him to live any sort of life of luxury, a life that was pain and problem-free in a world that rejected and crucified his Savior. You guys, Paul wanted to feel what Jesus felt in his suffering, in his loneliness, in his abandonment. In his isolation on the cross. Again, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why? Paul is saying that there is a direct link between the power of Christ's resurrection and the participation in his suffering and death okay i'll say that again paul saw that there is a direct link between the power of christ's resurrection and the participation in his suffering and death as one writer we must experience the weight of the cross before we can taste the power of the resurrection so good When we experience pain and suffering, you guys, when we experience hurt, we are pulled into a place of intimacy with Christ in a way that nothing else can. Now, suffering is not the end goal, okay? Hear me say that. Suffering is not the end goal. We are not suffering for suffering's sake. So what Paul is showing us is that when we pour out our life for others, when we do like Jesus did, That is where we ourselves experience the fullness and the richness of this life, okay? Now what Paul was after and what he understood so well about suffering is what sets up what I want us to consider tonight, okay? And it's that our suffering and our hurt more than anything else is what ties us to our Savior Jesus, okay? Suffering and pain more than anything else is what ties us to our Savior, Jesus. And we're gonna look at three ways this happens. And the first is this, if you're taking notes. Christ meets us most deeply in our pain. You guys, if there is one thing that the Bible makes really clear, it's that Jesus knows us at a very intimate level, right? He understands us. Listen to how David in the Old Testament describes the Lord's knowledge of him in Psalm 139. He says, For you formed my inward being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in a secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them so jesus knows us he understands us he formed us now he understands us but you guys Do we really understand Jesus? Can we really know him on an intimate, rich level? And what Paul is telling us here in Philippians 3.10 is that when we identify with Jesus in our suffering, when we yield to him in our pain, we actually become more like him. Now we miss this all the time because we fail to understand the weight, right? And the significance of Jesus' suffering. And not just, I'm not just talking about how he suffered on the cross, right? Because Jesus lived 30 years before this. You know, he had this whole life and we're not sure a lot of what his childhood was like. A lot of these things um, we don't have account of, but we know that he suffered. So whatever you find yourself struggling with, you guys, right now, they're not struggling. <laughs> whatever you find yourself struggling with right now, you guys, whatever problems you're facing, every one of us can find our suffering in Christ's suffering. And I'm going to explain this a little further. So Jesus knows what it's like to endure sleepless nights. Okay? You ever thought about this? He knows what it's like to feel exhausted, to feel anxious, He knows what it's like to hurt because the people he loves are hurting around him. Jesus was mocked, he was criticized, he was betrayed, he was misunderstood, he was abandoned, he was beaten, and his body was broken. Why? Why was he so willing to endure all of these things, you guys, and I believe it's because of this, so that he could meet us in our deepest hurt, okay? You guys, have you ever begged God to take any sort of pain from you, any sort of suffering? I know I'm not alone in this, right? Have you ever watched someone you love be taken too soon? Well, you guys, I'm here tonight to tell you that there is good news. Death is a doorway. It is not the end. Jesus did something about our pain, about our suffering. Because as hard as it is to maybe understand or believe in the moment, Jesus actually cares more about our pain than we do, which is baffling to me. He cares more than we do. When someone we love is hurting, Jesus cares more about that person's hurt than we actually do. And he's not content to leave the situation as it is. He did something about it. And because of Jesus' willingness to endure the most horrific form of torture that humanity had to offer, you and I can now rejoice because we can taste Christ's fellowship in our suffering. You guys, Christ meets us most deeply in our pain because that is where we find fellowship with him. It's where he relates to us like a friend on a deep, intimate level that is unmatched to anything else. But how can we be confident of this? How can we be confident that God cares about our suffering today? How can we truly know that he cares about the hurt that we are experiencing every morning? You guys, we can have confidence and know these things because God himself took on flesh in the man of Jesus and he experienced the full spectrum of the full weight of human suffering and of pain. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So not only was God willing to leave the glory of heaven to come down to us, but he willingly emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant nonetheless. And he didn't stop there. This verse says that he humbled himself by becoming completely obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus endured the most painful, humiliating death so that we could be saved. This is the gospel. When we suffer, you guys, when we hurt, Christ meets us in it. Number two. How does our suffering tie us to Jesus? Our suffering reminds us of the eternal perspective that God is calling us to have, okay? Our suffering reminds us of the eternal perspective that God is calling us to have. Romans 8, 28, very famous verse says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. As humans, our scope, you guys, is completely limited to our physical space, to our physical time, right? We can't see into the future and try to prevent whatever is going to happen from happening, right? We do our best but it doesn't always work out. And all we have access to, you guys, our reality is that, is of this here and now reality, right? It's here and now reality, that's all we have, this moment. And I don't know about you guys, but that crazy frustrates me sometimes because I'm a planner, I have my little planner, and when things don't work out, Man, does it just drive me insane. And what Paul is calling us to here in Romans 8, you guys, is to a new perspective, okay? An eternal one. A new way of looking at the world where we trust that as followers of Jesus, God is going to work out the details of our lives. He's going to work out our past, our present, and even our future, regardless of the hurt we experience along the way, and there's gonna be a lot of it. Whatever suffering, whatever tragedy, whatever disappointment, whatever thing comes into our lives, God isn't just going to remove it and do away with it, but he's actually going to use it to conform us into the image of Christ, okay? That's what he wants to do with it. He wants to conform us into the image of Christ. God wants to use our pain to make us more like Jesus, Now this verse tends to make a lot of people uncomfortable. And the reason that I think that is is because it challenges our Western minds, right? This Western idea we are deserving, that we are promised this happy-go-lucky life, right? That we are deserving of this good thing, of this good life. But listen to what Jesus says in John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says it, we're gonna have trouble. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. You guys, did you know that happiness is not the aim of the Christian life? Have You ever thought about this? Happiness is just not the aim of the Christian life. Listen again what Jesus says in, in Matthew 20:28. 20, he says, "The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." This, right here, you guys, this is the type of life that Jesus is calling us to: a self-giving, self-sacrificing life. Because God's main concern is not our happiness. God's main concern is conforming us into children, conforming, sorry, his children to Christ's image. That's his goal, to conform us to be more like Christ. Not to the world's image, because what did we just say about the world? The world wants to define us. It wants to tell us that we are deserving of so many things like happiness, but you guys, God is calling us to so much more. He's calling us to a life beyond ourselves, right? To a life where we're turned outwards towards those around us. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You guys, that word peace that Jesus is using is the word shalom. Or in the Greek, irane. I don't know if that's how you say it, but. You guys probably don't know either. But this word actually means wholeness, right? It means, this word shalom means completeness. In other words, Jesus is saying that the only place we are ever going to find peace where we're, at peace, where we're going to find completeness or wholeness in this life is through him. That's what he's offering to us. He's offering himself. Very rarely does God physically remove us from the challenges of our lives to make us more like Christ. God wants to use our difficult circumstances to make us more like Jesus. But only if we allow him to, right? Only if we allow him to. Because I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but God's a gentleman, okay? He's not going to force himself into your life. He's not going to do it. He's going to wait for you to invite him into it. Remember David's words in Psalm 23? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God doesn't promise David that he would deliver him from the valley of the shadow of death. God, with his perfect peace, promised to be with David, even in the darkest valley. He promised to be with him. And listen to what he says in verse five. You, talking about God, you, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So what does this mean for you and I? As children of God, this same peace, this same shalom, shalom, this peace that surpasses all understanding is made available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, David isn't saying that he's ignoring his problems with the hope that they will just magically melt away, right? Instead, he's, he's making a conscious decision, a decision to acknowledge the peace of God that is with him, even in the presence of his enemies. Even when he's in the darkest valley, he's acknowledging God's presence with him. One of the things a lot of us are really bad at, if I can say this, is simply acknowledging the presence of God, right? We tend to look over the verse that says, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. He's with us. Emmanuel, that means God with us, you guys. And I don't think we we fully understand the weight of what that means when God says, I'm with you. But this is such an important part of our lives as believers. It's one of the joys that we have as believers of walking into a room and bringing the presence of God with us. Galatians 2.20, you know, it's Christ who dwells in me. So whenever I walk into a room, I'm bringing Christ's presence into the room with me. It changes the atmosphere. But are we aware of it? And you guys, this is honestly something that I would challenge you all to start taking seriously and taking note of because we can actually practice noticing the presence of God. When we take the time to pray, when we take the time to worship, to read scripture, just sit long enough to hear from him, you guys, we start to feel that there's a shift in the room, right? Something happens. And you guys, that shift that some of us feel, that some of us hear, that some of us see, that's God's presence, right? We feel it really strongly on a Sunday morning, right? There's that anointing moment that hits and we're like, yes, God, come on. And it's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's nothing we're doing. That's nothing the band's doing. We're in the background. Jesus at the center of the stage. This is how we actually prepare ourselves to experience his peace. That same peace that David was talking about. We're aware of God's presence with us at all times. When heartache comes, when troubles come, God, you're with me in this. God, you're with me. I know this is difficult right now, but I'm not in this by myself. God, you're with me. You're next to me. I feel your presence with me. Let your peace wash over me. Let me feel your shalom, Father. Now, the last way that our suffering ties us to Christ is that it brings comfort like nothing else, which I know sounds like a contradiction to everything I just said, but it brings comfort like nothing else. 2 Corinthians 1.5, if you're taking notes. Paul says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So although we share in Christ's suffering, like Paul says in Philippians, there is also this reality that we also share in his comfort too. As Christians, when we suffer, when we hurt, we're given access to a level of comfort that nothing or no one else can provide. A comfort that is unique to those who know him. And more often than not, you guys, this this level of peace and comfort might even look foolish, it might even look insane to our friends or to the world around us. It might look odd. How do we have this peace when the world around us is just falling apart? How can we have this shalom? But you guys, when we... When we turn to him, even when we're going through difficult situations, and I know a lot of you guys are walking through all kinds of, of things right now. Know that God sees you, that he meets you in it. You're not alone in it. The Father's with you. His presence goes before you. He's with you. Hear me say that. Jesus is with you in all of it. When we turn to him. We're going through these situations. Um, you know, it allows us to show up for people, for friends, for family, in astounding ways, because we, remember, are able to bring our peace, to bring God's peace into those situations. We're able to bring a level of comfort that they couldn't experience before because that comfort is not coming from us. We're just this conduit of grace, right? And we're bringing it into those situations. Remember what scripture tells us. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The thing we need to remember about comfort is that it is so much more than just a feeling, right? We talked about feeling. We can't always trust it. It goes far beyond that. Remember what we said in the beginning about you know the lies that the world is feeding us. All these things, they they come and go, these these feelings, they're fleeting. But Jesus in his kindness and compassion is after something so much greater than than these things, so much more rooted than our feelings. Because he knows that our feelings are not what creates deep, rich, intimate fellowship with him. We have to move beyond that. We have to move beyond our feelings to something far sturdier, something more foundational, something more secure. And again, I know you guys are are struggling with all kinds of, of things right now. And, or maybe life is good. Maybe life is easy. And you should share that joy with others around you who are struggling. But I know a lot of us are really hurting in, in different ways. But guys, I just want to challenge you to take a moment to see the opportunity that you have right now to know the Lord Jesus at a deeper, richer, more intimate level when we meet him in our suffering. when we allow him to, to meet us when we're hurting, to speak into that hurt. He wants to be near us more than anything. You guys, he, Jesus is not put off by our shame. He's not disgusted by our intentions or by our our motives. And maybe you just need to hear that Jesus is not afraid to get close to you even though you're afraid to get close to him, right? He draws close to us. In fact, Jesus loves us so much that he gave up his life for us. That's how much we mean to him. He gave up his life for us. You guys, we can we can know more about Jesus on an intellectual level. We can do all these good things. We can we can engage in Bible study. You know, we can do devotionals. We can go to church on Sunday. We can come here. And we can miss it. We can miss God's peace and all of it. But when we allow him to actually enter into our suffering, we'll experience him in a whole new way, in a whole new light than we ever thought possible. So my prayer tonight is that you guys would experience Jesus in an intimate level by allowing him to speak into your life, into your suffering, into your hurt, into your disappointment. Let him speak into it and let him meet you there. You know, I love talking about the heart because I think that is where, you know, when we talk about where Christ dwells in us, you know, there's so much good work that we need to do in our hearts. There's so much cultivation that needs to happen in our hearts on a regular basis. There's so much tilling of the ground of our hearts that we need to do. There are things that we need to uproot that are taking up space in our heart. There's good things that we can do to allow God to dwell and to meet us more intimately, more closely when we do that good work on our hearts? So would we allow space and room for him to meet us in our hurt, you guys?